That was a groovy tune. Uh, let's get this out of the way real quick. If you got one of the new communion kits, they're impossible to open. So if you're struggling, it's not just you. It's a, it's a real problem. I spilled mine earlier. Uh, so we're gonna work on that. Apologies. Uh, I'm excited to continue in this uh, series, the good, good news about the kingdom of God. Uh, we recognize, and Andy did a great job of kind of explaining this, illustrating this last week, that there, there are two realities. We, we, we have, there's a reality of the physical earthly world that we live in, where we, we go to work and we buy groceries and we you know, interact with people. It's, it's the things that we can see and taste and touch, and they're all, they're all very real, but they're all very temporary. And then there's another reality. There's the spiritual reality of the kingdom of God, where we can't see and taste and touch the elements of the kingdom of God, but they're just as real. And so what we're talking about in this series is that there's good news for human beings, that we get to live in the kingdom of God. And when we live with the kingdom as our frame of reference for how we interact in the world, then there's peace and joy and purpose available to us. And so what we're learning to do is to recognize when, when am I living in ways that are really primarily through an earthly mindset, where I'm really just focused on the things right in front of me instead of seeing the big picture of the kingdom of God? And how can I shift my focus to live based on the spiritual reality of the kingdom of God that I've been invited into through the blood of Christ? So that's, that's what we're tackling this week. Uh, we're gonna be focused on the question of morality. The, this is the question. How do human beings know the difference between good and bad? How do we know? This is not just a Christian question. This is a question that permeates all the soft sciences. If you think about philosophy and sociology and anthropology and psychology are all wrapped up in this question. How can human beings know the difference between good and bad? And there, there are a lot of ideas out there. There are a lot of different uh, cultural methods for determining good and bad, for making choices about what's right and wrong. So some of those are uh, go with your gut. You ever heard that? You ever been told to go with your gut, or you ever just said, I'm just gonna go with my gut, and, and we just kind of live out of this sense of intuition. There's the idea of uh, following your heart, right? Whatever, whatever your heart leads you to do, if, if it makes you happy, how can it be wrong? There's that mentality. And then on the flip side, of those, those are kind of, kind of emotional uh, responses. And then we've got the, the rational, the, the, the logic part of our brain that goes, no, the best way to make decisions is, is to just, you analyze all the information and you weigh it out, you do a pros and cons list and you do the math. And, and it's, it's like math, it'll, it'll add up if you just use your brain, right? Well, if, if any of those philosophies were true, then the people who live by those should be known for their excellent decision-making, right? So how is that working out for human society? We've got people who really lean hard on the emotional side. Are, are, are they, is, are human beings known as excellent decision-makers? Like we always do what's good? What about people who just live by their brains, reason and logic? You know anybody like that? Are they, are they excellent? Do they always make the right choice? No, if these philosophies were true, they would be working. And so what we see when we, when we look around at the world we live in, it's not working. These ideas are not working. So there's some good news about this. If we're living in the kingdom of God and we have the spiritual frame of reference for how we interact in the world, then we get to see there's good news for us in the kingdom. So here's the first uh, good news is that we are not ruled by our feelings. We are not ruled by our feelings. Now, feelings are good. Emotions are good. Emotions come from God. They're not, they're not bad. 
We actually need, it's important for us to be healthy human beings that we learn how to understand our emotions and process them and know what to do with them in healthy ways. In fact, we're gonna have a whole series on that this summer. We're gonna have a series on emotional health from a Jesus-centered perspective. So feelings are, are not bad, but they don't rule us. We're not slaves to them. We don't have to do what our feelings tell us to do. This is good news because our feelings can get us in trouble, can't they? I mean, if you think about the idea of go with your gut and your intuition, should always lead you in the right direction, kind of like your conscience, right? Does that always work out? If you just look at the life of uh, the apostle Peter in scripture, Peter was a guy who followed his gut a lot. How'd that work out for him? If you think about the night that Jesus was arrested and these soldiers come and, and they're, they're ready to, to, to take Jesus by force if they have to and Judas betrays him with a kiss and something in Peter's gut is going, this is wrong. This is wrong. We got to do something about this. We can't let this happen. This is Jesus. So he grabs a sword and swipes at one of the soldiers' heads. Like if he weren't a fisherman, but was a soldier, he probably would have killed the guy. But thankfully, he just cut off his ear. He's kind of clumsy with a sword. And Jesus heals him. And he's like, Peter, this is not the right thing. Even though Peter's gut, everything in his gut was saying, I can't let this happen. His actions were incorrect. They were wrong. So go with our gut doesn't always work out. The good news is we're not slave to that. We don't have to do that. Follow your heart. What about that one? Follow your heart. Just do what makes you happy. Do what feels good. If it feels good or if it makes somebody else feel good, how can it be wrong? How can it be wrong? This, this, this seems logical, right? Feels right. How does that work out for us? You can trace back through your own history of times when you followed your heart into something that turned out to be destructive or unhealthy. Right. Let me just give you a, a kind of a weird example. When someone hurts you, when someone wounds you, insults you, offends you, disrespects you in some way, what response feels good? Revenge? Get even? Hurt them back? Maybe you wouldn't go that far. Maybe you would just hold a grudge. Just hold on to it. Hold on to that feeling of being superior because you're the one who hurt me. So I have this thing over you. You hold on to that. that. That actually, in a weird way, it feels good. Is that healthy? Of course not. I mean, if you do that in your marriage, you're gonna have some problems, right? If you're holding on. What, what, what feels wrong to do in that moment? What feels bad to do? What is the thing you don't wanna do? Forgive. Forgiveness is difficult. It's actually painful. It's letting go of the right to hold this thing against the person who hurt me. But man, when you look at healthy relationships, forgiveness is, is embedded into healthy relationships. So the thing that feels good is not always the right thing. And the thing that feels bad is not always the wrong thing. Good news, we're not, we're not ruled by our feelings. Another feeling that can trip us up sometimes is guilt. Now, guilt can be a really good thing. In fact, guilt can be a tool that the Holy Spirit uses to convict us of sin, to say, hey, you're, you're stepping out of line with the way of Jesus and, and you need to course correct. You need to confess and repent and get back on track. The Holy Spirit can use guilt to convict us. But guilt is not 100% reliable because we were taught what to feel guilty about and what not to feel guilty about by imperfect people. Our parents, our teachers, our people who have influence over us are imperfect. And sometimes we learned to feel guilty for things that we shouldn't feel guilty for. And we can, we can actually learn or teach ourselves to not feel guilty about things that we should feel guilty about. Can't we? 
Because we're taught, it's just not reliable. So even guilt is not by itself a reliable way to determine what's good and bad. So here's the good news. We're not ruled by our feelings. More good news, uh, when we flip to the other side and you go, well, if it's not feelings, it's gotta be the brain, right? It's gotta be logic and reason. Here's good news. We're not ruled by reason either. You're like, well, we should be. I've got, I've got some good friends that are very logical, reasonable people. They're like, we should be ruled by our brains. Like, you, you, you analyze the data and, and it'll all add up and you do, you do what's, uh, what the math says to do. Here's, here's where this breaks down sometimes. So, so one of the logical arguments for how to determine right from wrong that's used in our culture is, is don't hurt somebody else. Like if, it's hurt, if it hurts somebody else, it's wrong. If it doesn't hurt somebody else, it's right. That, that feels like a logical way to determine if something is good or bad. If it's not hurting anyone, how can it be wrong? Is that always the way things work though? Like how good are we at actually knowing if someone is being hurt by our actions or not? Even, we, we, we can't even tell often if what we're doing is hurting us or not. We do things that are self-destructive in ignorance all the time. We're just not very good at it. I'm going to give you an example of this. Uh, let's talk about profanity, right? Profanity is the idea that there are some words that are bad and you shouldn't say them, right? And then there are some words that are kind of adjacent curse words, curse word adjacent that Christians are really good at. I mean, we, we made up, Christians made up most of these words, fudge, you know, that's, that's us, right? Our contribution to the world, right? So we, we've got curse-adjacent words, and we've got curse words, and, and, and you kind of got to find your way through all of that. Well, why are some words bad and, and some words okay? It's really hard to determine how a word that you can say can be hurtful to anyone. So a lot of times, we just go, it's not hurting anyone for me to use this word, so what's the big deal, right? But even outside of the church, our society agrees some language is inappropriate for some context. We have this whole organization in our government called the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, and they decide these words can be played on TV and these words can't. And these words can be on YouTube channels that are targeted to kids and these words can't. Now, why does our secular society make decisions about what kind of words we can say and what, what kind of words we can't say? Because we're terrible at deciding, like, how, how can my words be hurtful? But we know, you and I know that words can hurt people, right? Because you've been hurt by somebody's words. And I've been hurt by somebody's words. And I have hurt people with my words. So we're just, we're just bad at it. We're, we're bad at this, like, this reasonable, logical thing. If it doesn't hurt anyone, then it should be fine. We're just not very good at figuring out what that really means. So here's the good news. We're not ruled by rationalization because this is what we tend to do. We tend to, ra like, once we, once we kind of lean towards the reason and logic side, what we tend to do is start rationalizing our decisions. And we basically make a decision that typically just comes from a desire, and then we start looking for reasons why this thing is okay. That's called rationalizing and justifying. And, and human beings are experts in this. We can justify pretty much anything. And, and there's evidence all over our society that we cannot agree. We can't even agree as a society on anything that's always wrong. You're like, well, of course we can. I mean, murder, right? Let's go with the obvious one. Murder is always wrong, right? Is it? Does everyone agree on that? There's a whole category in our justice system called justifiable homicide. You heard that? What does that mean? That means that According to certain circumstances, murder is not always wrong, or at least it's not always as wrong as other kinds of murder. We can talk about abortion. You guys, want to listen? can I make everyone uncomfortable for just a second? 
Like, it's taking a life. Does everyone agree that that's always wrong? And then, no, of course not. Everyone doesn't agree on that. So as a society and even as a church, we're not really good at determining what's good and bad based on even logic, even things as, as obvious as taking a life are not as obvious. We make it complicated. So we choose a side with our hearts and then we rationalize and justify based on what we choose. So the good news is we're not ruled. We're not ruled by rationalization. We're not ruled by our brains. They're faulty and perfect. So here's the good news. Uh, uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> Here, here's the good news. We are ruled by Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've put your trust in Christ to rescue you from sin and invite you into the kingdom, you are ruled by Jesus. He is your Lord, right? So that means whatever Jesus says, I'm a Jesus-centered person. So Jesus is in charge of my thoughts, my words, my deeds. And how do I know what's good and bad? I learned from Jesus. I learned from his teachings and his example. God has always been the one who wanted to show us what was good and bad. If you look at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, he puts these humans in there and then he puts a tree in there that they're not supposed to eat the fruit of this tree. What's it called? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says, this is my domain, hands off. This is my domain. I'm the one who gets to decide what's good and bad. And you need to trust me with this. Don't, don't come into my domain. And so what is the sin that the humans commit? take from the tree, and they enter into God's domain. They want to be the ones, and I say they, it's really us, right? We want to be the ones who decide what's good and bad, and that's the, that's the sin we all commit, is to step into God's territory where he's the one. He said, like, you got to trust me. I actually know you better than you know yourself. I know what it takes for people to live together in community, and you really don't. So you gotta trust me, and we step into that domain, and we commit that same original sin over and over and over again, because God's the one who wants to show us. And, and this, in this verse that Andy used last week from Micah 6, 8, the prophet uh, who uh, is, is reminding people of this hundreds of years after the Eden episode, he's reminding people, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. It means God, God wants to be the one. He's the one who has the authority to decide, but he's not keeping it a secret. It's not like he's going, I'm not telling you, like just good luck, figure it out. God's like, no, I wanna show you. I want you to know. So he's shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. We go, well, that sounds simple enough. Why are we so bad at it? Well, we needed an example. We needed somebody to show us what it looks like. So Jesus comes on the scene and he teaches us what is good and then he lives it out in a way that we can kind of go, oh, I, I, I could do that. I could, do, I could follow that. If, if, if I just study, if I understand the teachings of Jesus, I could follow his example. I could... I could do what Jesus does. He makes it very realistic that we can step into Jesus's way. So how does he teach us? It uh, starts with Matthew 22. This is a, a passage that you, you might be familiar with. Matthew 22, uh, verse 34. Uh, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? in the law. Jesus, can you boil it all down for us? We want to know what you think is the best way for us to decide what's good and bad, right and wrong, to follow God. Jesus replied, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This, the first and greatest commandment. This is where we start, foundational piece. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Jesus said, you do these two things, you're going to be fine. If you want to know the foundation, the framework for all of your decision-making, Here's where it is. Love God, love people. 
And then Jesus lived that out in like dramatic, tangible, realistic ways. So Jesus honored God by doing what the Father, he says this all through the Gospel of John. When you read through the Gospel of John, you see this language over and over again. Jesus says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. I go where the Father tells me to go. I obey the Father in all things. So you're like, well, Jesus, wasn't he God? So is he like obeying himself? Well, Jesus is part of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And Jesus is in unity and submission to the will of the Trinity. God the Father. So this is what he points other people to. He says, honor God, live in submission. And he, he models that. He lives that out himself. Then he loves people in a way that just pops off the pages of scripture. And you look at how Jesus interacts with the poor, with the sick, with the uneducated. He steps in and he meets needs where there, where there are needs. And then he, he corrects gently when correction is needed. And he loves people. He does what is best for them, even when it costs him. Even when it's inconvenient, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's painful, he does what is best for individuals. Even how he talks to the religious leaders, you go, well, he, he, didn't, he wasn't nice to them. I mean, he said some really harsh things. He called them pit of vipers and whitewashed tombs. And like, how, how, do we, how do we call that love? Well, for Jesus to speak this way to the religious leaders who were abusing their power by oppressing the people, that was an act of love to the people who were powerless, Jesus was loving the powerless by speaking to those in power to correct and rebuke them. But it was also an act of love to the Pharisees. I mean, he sat down with Nicodemus face-to-face, a Pharisee, and he taught them the way of the kingdom of heaven. He loved them, so he corrected them because love corrects when it sees someone going off course. So Jesus, Jesus modeled, he, he spoke these two commands and then he modeled what it looked like. And what he's doing is he's showing us the frame of reference for how we determine good from bad. Because what we tend to do as human beings, our society, is we look at good and bad and we, and we say, well, let's draw a line between good and bad and let's just find a way to make sure we don't cross the line. So that the goal is don't sin. Like, just don't sin. Like, wake up this morning and just try to not sin, okay? So when we go at it with that mentality, what we tend to do is we, we start doing this, like, you know, figuring in our minds, like, well, how... How close can I get before it's actually sin? And when we, what we want to do is we want to live right on the edge of that line. And we'd be like, well, I'm not, I'm not sinning, but I mean, I'm pretty close. So this is, we feel like that's where all the fun is. The fun is right on the edge of that line, right? And that's how we live our lives. God didn't call us to that. He didn't, he didn't lay that out. He didn't say the goal of your life is to not sin. Jesus didn't say, and when he was asked the greatest commandment, you know, well, don't sin. That wasn't his answer. His answer was, Make the most of every opportunity to love God and love people. That's a very different frame of reference. It's very different from this game we play of how close can we get to the line without going over. Instead, what we're looking for is opportunities to love God and love people. So so the goal, the frame of reference Jesus invites us into and models for us is look for opportunities to love God and love people. Now, how do we do this? So even, even when... Jesus teaches it and models it for us. We need wisdom and courage to live this out. We need wisdom and courage. Wisdom engages our brains so that we we absorb information coming from outside. We process it. We know what to do with it. And courage engages our will. So so this kind of goes to the idea, like I used to say all the time, like, oh, I think, um, I don't think the problem is knowing right from wrong. I think the problem is doing what we know is right. I mean, that takes courage to do. Now, I, I've, my mind has shifted on that a little bit. I still think that's true a lot of times, but I think um, 
man, the, the complexity of a lot of issues in our society have, have created a lot of confusion, and it's not always obvious what's, what's right. Now, we'll, we'll get to that in just a minute. But if we're gonna live out even what we know, even what Jesus makes really plain, we're gonna need wisdom and courage, the wisdom to know what's right and the courage to actually do it. Because there are a lot of times when we know what's right, we just don't wanna do it. It's too costly, it's uncomfortable, it's inconvenient, it'll make us stand out in a weird way. So we need to pray for this. We need to pray for wisdom and courage. Wisdom to know what's right and courage to do it. But I don't think it's always clear. I think there is a gray area in here for us, right there in the middle. And uh, let me be really clear. This is not a gray area for God. God is never kind of confused about what's right and wrong. He's never scratching his head going, oh, got me, I don't know what to do. Uh, God is always super clear. For, for God, is, there's never a question about what's good and bad and what's right and wrong. But for us, man, we're human. Our, we're limited in our understanding. And, and there are times when it's just not clear. There seem to be good arguments on both sides. And we're not really sure what the best way uh, to move forward is. And Jesus... Jesus navigated this area really well. He did things that for us look like gray areas where he would, so, so if love is doing what's best for someone, even if it costs you, Jesus sometimes did things that, that created pain for other people. Jesus died in such a way that his mother watched him die an excruciating death. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine putting your mom in that situation? Does that seem like what was best for her? Jesus led his disciples and he taught them in such a way that if they followed him and they did, it would lead them to their death. Does that seem like what was best for them? I mean, we look at this stuff and we go, how did Jesus know that that was right? There were times when Jesus uh, would heal people. So like there was this uh, pool in Jerusalem where all the sick people would gather because uh, they believed that an angel would come down and stir up the water and the first person to get into the water when the angel stirred it up would be healed. And so all the sick people are gathering at this pool. Jesus walks in this area full of sick people and heals one. I'm gonna go, well, why didn't he heal them all? Like if, if I could heal people, I would have just healed them all, right? How did Jesus know what was good and right in that situation? Another one that just kind of makes me scratch my head is the woman caught in adultery. The, the Pharisees bring her uh, right in front of Jesus. We caught her in the act of adultery and they don't start with like, Jesus, we feel like here's what should happen or we've reasoned this out. They start with God's law. They say, the law of Moses commands that such women should be stoned. What do you say? What is he gonna do? It's, it's the law of Moses. It's the law God gave to Moses for a very good reason right? God doesn't want adultery to be rampant among his people. So he puts a heavy consequence on it. What does Jesus do? He, he orchestrates this scenario in such a way that no one can throw a stone at her. How did he know that that was good and right? So we kind of look at the way Jesus leads. Sometimes we go, how did he know? Like, that's, I'm not sure I would have made that choice. That seems... It seems hard to figure out how did he know? So how do we know when we face this gray area and our world is full of complex issues, how do we know what's good and right? So uh, I think what we need to practice doing is uh, enter the gray area with discernment and grace. Discernment and grace. So uh, let me break down discernment for you a little bit. Discernment starts with seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So whenever you're faced with a difficult moral decision, if you have not prayed about it, you are not equipped if you haven't sought the guidance of the Holy Spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is alive and well in you. The power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You have a direct connection to the God who has authority over all things good and bad, right? 
He, he knows. So if we haven't sought the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we're, we're not equipped for this decision. So we start there. Uh, then we seek wise counsel from other people. We'll go and, and talk to people uh, who are, are farther down the road, maybe who have more information on the subject, who have more experience with it. And finally, we need to prioritize the greatest good. We need to learn what that looks like to prioritize the greatest good. And this is, this is tricky. This, this, is time, this is times when you recognize there's not like just a right or wrong. There's a good, a better, and a best. Well, how, do we know, how do we know what's good, better, and best in this situation? So let me um, kind of give you an illustration of this that, that's helpful to me. Um, th- there's, uh, think about a basketball team. On a basketball team, Coach, help me out here. On a basketball team, uh, there's an individual good. There are goods that are, are for the individual, and that is you, you better show up on time, you practice hard, you improve your skills, and you take care of your body. You stay in shape so that you can run fast and jump high for the whole game, right? That's, that's your responsibility. That's the good for the individual. Then there's corporate good. There's the good for the team, and that's, that's you cooperate with your teammates. You run the plays, you pass the ball, you protect the team. So there's corporate good, individual good, and then there's the mission. What's the mission for the team? Win the game. We gotta win the game, right? What if in the context of basketball, there's a time when the mission conflicts with an individual good? Case in point, 1997 NBA championship or uh, finals, uh, Michael Jordan wakes up with food poisoning. Some people thought he had the flu, it was food poisoning, uh, probably. As he has a fever, he's, he's sweating, yeah, he's, he's in bad shape. The individual good for him is to go to bed, heal up, be ready for the next game. The mission for the team is to win the game. Jordan knows, like everyone else on the planet, that the team's best chance at winning this game is for him to play, even if he's sick. So he plays, and they win. He sacrificed his individual good for the mission of the team. Think about this in the context of your family. In your family, there, there are individual goods. Each person in your family, you want, you want to do your part to stay healthy, um, to stay focused on Jesus-centered living. And then there's corporate goods for the family. There are things that this is, this is what's good for our whole family. We're making this decision because it's best for the family. And then there's the mission. The mission of the family is to be Jesus-centered so we can be salt and light in our community in, in, our, in our extended family, in our neighborhood, in our schools and workplaces. That's, that's our mission. So there are times when we might sacrifice the individual good for the sake of the mission of our family. There are times for, for our family when we've looked at all the things that our kids have an opportunity to do, right? Opportunities out, you know, there's unlimited in the world that we live in, school opportunities, outside of school opportunities. And, and our kids could have been busy uh, January to December, morning to night, pretty much all year. So we said no to some things that our kids wanted to do because they were gonna conflict with our mission of being salt and light in our community, having the margin and space in our lives to interact with people that we love and care about, right? And so there were times when we had to say no to some individual goods for the sake of the mission. You think about this in terms of the church, there there are opportunities where we say no to individual goods for the sake of the mission. So this is learning to prioritize the greatest good. So we got discernment and we got grace. Discernment and grace, when we're talking about the gray area, if we can go back to that. Because even when we do all of this, even when we seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit and we look for wise counsel from other people and we prioritize the greatest good, sometimes we still blow it, don't we? Sometimes we still get it wrong. Even with the best intentions, we make the wrong choice. That's when we fall on the grace of God 
1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and forgives us every time. There's grace for when we mess up. We have to walk around with shame. There's grace. And so we, we do our best to discern. We use wisdom and courage and we fall on grace, right? Here's why this matters. One bad decision is probably not gonna lead you into crisis. Whenever we feel like we've done something destructive, it's harmful to ourselves or somebody else, we look back and usually it's a series of decisions that we've made through the wrong lens. Decisions that we made that focused more on the earthly physical world around us than on the spiritual reality of the kingdom of God. And it's those series of decisions that can be destructive. And we go, well, why? Why did I keep doing that? Why didn't somebody step in and stop me? Why didn't somebody gently correct me? We're not very good at course correcting and letting Jesus rule us. So we need to practice this because if we're gonna be the people of God, if we're gonna be bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, then we need to be, we need to be really good at discerning good from bad, having the wisdom to know it, the courage to do it, the confidence in God's grace to move forward when we're unsure so I wanna invite you to close um, with me with this verse. Would you go ahead and stand? We'll, we'll say this together. Um, this is from Proverbs uh, 3, 5, and 6. It may be familiar to some of you. This is really easy to memorize. If, if you wanna lock some scripture away that will help you with this specific subject, I encourage you to memorize uh, these couple verses, lock them away. Because what, what these verses are gonna encourage us to do is acknowledge, I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. My emotions aren't reliable enough. My gut will let me down. I don't know enough to always know what's, what's the right thing. But God does. I'm just gonna learn to trust him. It takes some pressure off. We don't have to figure it all out. We just trust that he has and we learn how to trust him. So would you read this together with me? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. That'll preach. We just could have started with that and ended half an hour ago. Lock that away because this is what we're called to. We're called to live this out so that we can be salt and light in a world that needs Christ. It needs to see that the gospel is true both in word and in deed, right? I'm not gonna be ruled by my feelings, my intuition, even by my brain. I'm gonna be ruled by Jesus. I'm gonna learn good and bad from him. I'm gonna follow his example. I'm gonna do it in a community of people that are gonna help me out, correct me gently, and show me grace. That's what we're here for. I'm gonna close this with a word of prayer. And then after, after I pray, uh, two things I wanna invite you to do. One is uh, we're gonna have some, some people uh, up front that, that are here to pray for you and with you. And so if there's something on your heart that you would just like prayer for that's related to you personally or to somebody that you love, I wanna invite you to come forward after we dismiss and you can pray with, with these folks. Uh, second invitation is um, about inviting. There are some cards uh, by the doors, green and black cards that are invitations to come and worship with us. Grab a couple of those and pray about who you should be inviting. We want people to come to a gathering like this and encounter God and be changed by him, right? And so who can you invite to come and be a part of this, to encounter God and be changed by him? So grab a couple of those uh, on your way out um, and come forward for prayer if, if you need that today. Let's pray.
God, thank you so much for your word, for Jesus' teaching and example that um, really just makes so much of it abundantly clear for us. Thank you for your grace that covers us uh, when we fail. And God, I pray that you would work in, in, in the lives of each individual and in our families and in this church family to, to navigate difficult, confusing situations with discernment and grace, uh, Father, so that we can be salt and light in the world around us. Would you do that in us and through us? In Christ's name we pray, amen. God bless you.